Welcome to the online sermons at King Street Church. Feel free to listen or watch online at kingstreetchurch.com. We're located at 162 East King Street in the heart of Chambersburg, PA, and would love to see you in person at one of our five Sunday services at 8.15, 9.45, or 11 a.m. We certainly hope you enjoy this morning's message. Well, as you walked in, you were handed a worship uh, folder, and you might have noticed the title of the message today. The title of the message is Nick at Night, Nick at Night, and when you see that, you might think about, of course, uh, Nick at Night, yeah, and, uh, and when you think about Nick at Night, or at least when I think about Nick at Night, I think about some of the absolute classics, right? I mean, come on, going all the way back to Leave it to Beaver, Wally and Beave, June Ward, these, uh, this just shows you just how, how uh, young I am. This was, this was the six years before I was even born, 1957 to 1963. We met the, uh, the Cleaver family. One of my favorite quotes is Beaver uh, is talking to Wally, and he says, uh, hey, hey, Wally, do, do you really like me? Wally says, uh, I guess so. Beaver said, do you like me a whole lot? Wally said, look, don't get sloppy on me. I might just slug you one. It's a great quote. Uh, another, another great quote is, uh, remember Eddie Haskell? Eddie Haskell, Wally's, Wally's good friend. Uh, Eddie's awesome. Eddie, Eddie's there uh, with, with Mrs. Cleaver, with, uh, with June in the kitchen. He says, gee, your kitchen always looks so clean. June said, why, thank you, Eddie. Eddie said, my mother says it looks as though you never do any work in here. It's <laughs> pretty classic uh, Eddie Haskell right there. So, uh, you know, then there's, then there's uh, I Love Lucy, right? I Love Lucy, 1951 to 57. It's hard to imagine this went off the air 60 years ago this year. 2012, uh, People Magazine, ABC News called this the best TV show of all time. I love Lucy. Oh, Lucy, I believe you have some explaining to do. <laughs> Little Ricky Ricardo there. Thank you very much. One of my all-time favorites is uh, the Andy Griffith Show. Come on. Good chance for me to show off my whistling skills there, right? One of the great whistling songs of all time. You know, I lo love, uh, love Barney, Barney, yeah, with his one bullet in his upper pocket that he put in his gun. Love Barney, Andy, great show, 1960 to 1968. Then we move into the 70s, early 70s, with Hogan's Heroes. Sergeant Schultz, I knew nothing. I see nothing. Right? Come on, people. Then there's Green Acres is the life for me. Nope, the place to be. Farm living is the life for me. Land spreading out so far and wide. Keep Manhattan, just give me that countryside. Ba -bum -ba -bum -ba. And this was not Zsa Zsa Gabor. Come on, all you true TV buffs. 
Ava Gabor, well done, nice job. New York is where I'd rather be, stay. I get allergic smelling hay. I just adore a penthouse view. What's next? Darling, I love you, but give me Buck Avenue. Right, come on, love it. And then I can remember every afternoon coming home and watching Oh, sit right back and you hear a tale, a tale of a grateful trip that started from a tropic port aboard this tiny ship. The mate was a mighty sailing man, the skipper brave and sure. Five passengers set sail that day for a three-hour tour. Three-hour tour. <laughs> the weather started. You know, I, I, we can do it. I, uh, I was pretty, as I researched this message, very spiritual message, um, I found out that there were only 98 episodes. This show only ran for three seasons. I guess you can only be stuck on an island so long, you know? You, but my goodness, how those 98 episodes shaped my childhood, okay. Uh, yeah, and come on, favorite two were... Uh, Marianne and the professor, of course, they were my favorites. And any ginger? Uh, ginger and Marianne, okay. We don't have to get it. Um, Nick at Night. Nick at Night is actually a different story. Turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 3. We're going to look at Nick at Night. Nick Odemus, as he comes to Jesus in, uh, in, under the cover of darkness and I want us to take some time to, uh, today to think about this story of Nicodemus. Now, there was, love you to join me there in your handhelds, your Bibles, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night, and he said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly, verily, verily, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. How can someone be born again when they're old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus said, you're Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you don't understand these things? Verily, verily, third time I say to you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people don't accept our testimony. I've spoken to you of earthly things and you don't believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life. 
in Him. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son so that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they've not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light. And will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Now there are obviously a myriad of sermons that have been and can be preached on this great passage in John chapter 3. We are making our way through a series this year. On the topic of transformation, God at work transforming our lives. And I wanted to use uh, this morning to really focus in on Nicodemus himself. To put our attention on this man, Nicodemus, and to say that I believe that his life really is a portrait or a, uh, an example, a model, if you will, of a transformation. Formed life. You know, it just helps sometimes to have examples, to be able to think about, okay, how did this play out in such and such as life? Or, or how do we see this? And from time to time this year, we're just going to look at people whose lives were transformed. And I believe Nicodemus is a great place to start in that regard. A portrait of a transformed life. And we see, I think, four things in Nicodemus's life that really exemplify what transformation requires out of us. What does it look like in our lives to be transformed? And I would begin by saying that transformation requires that we open our hearts. That we open our hearts to God. Look back at chapter 3, verse 1. Now, there was a, a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. We see two things about Nicodemus there other than his name, which was interesting, only a Greek name, not a Hebrew name. And Nicodemus was, first of all, a Pharisee. Now, we hear a lot about the Pharisees. Jesus and the Pharisees constantly went at it, but just a little more background on the Pharisees. In the days of Christ, in the Roman-ruled Jewish sector of Judea, and Samaria, and Galilee, that region, there were basically four kind of political parties, almost. They weren't quite, but there was a lot of politics involved, as there always is. But there were the Sadducees, who were sad, you see. There were the Pharisees, but a bunch. There were the Pharisees, who were, um, the Sadducees were more of the priestly class. They were... Um, Sadducees had no spiritual room in their theology at all. They don't believe they didn't believe in the resurrection. There was no possible of there really wasn't even life after death. The Sadducees were this very uh, distant 
priestly kind of a group that were almost kind of the worst, if you will, uh, in terms of their arrogance. The Pharisees, I've come to learn, were actually a lot more revered by the people because they were viewed a little more like them. Having said that, there were only about 6,000 people that considered themselves Pharisees during the time of Christ. So it wasn't like it was a large number of people, but these Pharisees were just so into the law of Moses. They were all about the law and keeping it strictly, keeping it to the letter. And Nicodemus was a Pharisee. More than that, he was a part of the ruling council. That's called the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin in Jerusalem was kind of the Knesset today. It was a mixture of the Senate and the Supreme Court. Seventy-one men were part of the ruling council, the Sanhedrin, and they were pretty much rock stars in Jerusalem, would have been. These men were highly respected, very revered. And Nicodemus, as a Pharisee and as a part of the Sanhedrin, maybe more than all of them, who knows? But he was a very respected man. And so the fact that he was coming to Jesus shows right out of the gate that he had an open heart. And the way he speaks to Jesus certainly kind of gives you that impression. He addresses him as what? Rabbi. Rabbi, we know. Well, he's not representing the Pharisees because the Pharisees didn't know that he came from God. They didn't believe that he came from God at all. They thought he was a, a, a hoax. They didn't believe that he was in any way from God. But Nicodemus shows that he begins, or the way we pick up with him in the story, with an open heart. I, I would like to call this conviction. <laughs> there was a sense of conviction in Nicodemus's life. There had to have been, or else he wouldn't have pursued Jesus. Obviously came at night because he didn't want anybody else to even know he was doing it. But a lot of commentaries give him a hard time for that. I don't. I see Nicodemus doing a very bold thing to come and open his heart to Jesus. And I think, I believe that it was because of this burning in his heart we hear about these two men on the road to Emmaus in Luke 24. I just thought about this phrase that after Jesus spent about five, six hours with them, it was a seven-mile walk and a whole afternoon with these two men from Emmaus, Jesus disappears from their presence and they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened scriptures? I only pull that out to say, I think that's Nicodemus. I really believe there was this burning in Nicodemus's heart. Revelation 3.20 describes how Jesus literally stands at the door of our heart and he knocks. And if anyone hears his voice, that's this burning, this conviction, this openness to the work of the Spirit. Jesus says, I will enter into them and, and uh, have a relationship with them. Nicodemus, first of all, is an example of, I believe, a person who was responding to conviction with an open heart. Second of all, transformation requires that we open our minds. That we open our minds. We get to chapter 3, verse 3. Jesus, he says, I see that you're a man from God. Jesus says, truly, truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Well, Jesus definitely 
goes immediately to a very spiritual truth with Nicodemus that, quite honestly, you can just tell this whole next leg of the conversation is kind of blowing his mind. Because twice he says, well, what are you talking about? How, how can you do that? Or, or he says down in verse 9, how, how can this be? I almost envision this like a visor. You know, where Nicodemus is living in a very religious world with all of the answers and highly respected, and he comes with an open heart to Jesus, and then Jesus basically is saying to him, no, you've got to open your mind to what I'm going to share with you right now, because these are spiritual truths. I thought about a story that I came across in a book by Eugene Peterson, the man that translated the message. It's a book called Eat This Book. And it's, uh, it's subtitled, A Conversation in the Art of Spiritual Reading. How to read God's Word for spiritual truth. And he, uh, Eugene Peterson quotes a, a German theologian by the name of Karl Barth. He said, Barth insists that we do not read the Bible in order to find out how to get God into our lives or to get Him to participate in our lives. No, we open this book, the Bible, and find that page after page, it takes us off guard, surprises us, and draws us into its reality, pulls us into participation with God on His terms. As I read that, I thought, that's exactly what's happening with Nicodemus and Jesus. Jesus is inviting Nicodemus into spiritual realities that were beyond his mind at that point. And then Bart provides an illustration that I didn't know this, but became famous. I had never heard it till I read this. He talks about a group of men and women in a huge warehouse. They were born in this warehouse, grew up in it, and uh, have everything there for their needs and for their comfort. There are no exits to the building, but there are windows. But the windows are thick with dust and are never clean, so that no one bothers to look out. Why would they? The warehouse is everything they know, has everything they need. But then one day, one of the children drags a step stool under one of the windows and scrapes off the grime, and he looks out. He sees people walking on the streets. He calls to his friends to come and look. They crowd around the window. They never knew a world existed outside their warehouse. And then they notice a person out in the street looking up and pointing. Soon several people are gathered, looking up and talking excitedly. The children look up, but there is nothing to see but the roof of the warehouse. They finally get tired of watching these people out on the street, acting crazily, pointing up at nothing and getting excited about it. What's the point of stopping for no reason at all, pointing at nothing at all, talking up a storm about nothing at all? But what those people in the street were looking at was an airplane or geese in flight or a gigantic pile of cumulus clouds. The people in the street look up and see the heavens and everything in the heavens. The warehouse people have no heavens above them, just a roof. What would happen though if one day one of those kids cut a door out of the warehouse and coaxed his friends out and discovered the immense sky above them and the grand horizons beyond them. That is what happens, writes Bart, when we open the Bible. We enter the totally unfamiliar world of God. 
A world of creation and salvation stretching endlessly above and beyond us. Life in the warehouse never prepared us for anything like this. I think that's exactly what's happening with Nicodemus and Jesus. Jesus is saying, Nicodemus, let me cut a hole in your warehouse and let me walk you out and show you the sky. Let me point you to God. The wind blows where it will, but we don't know where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with the Holy Spirit. Nicodemus is like, what? Wow. Jesus is revealing and does reveal to us in His Word the majestic truths of who God is and invites us into His story we got to get out of the warehouse. You see, transformation requires that we open our hearts, respond to conviction. It requires that we open our minds to spiritual truth. Thirdly, it requires that we open our mouths. You know, it's interesting. John doesn't just talk about Jesus once, but three times. Look with me at John chapter 7. John chapter 7, we run into Jesus on... On a, a day, verse 37, the last and greatest day of the, of the festival, one of the, one of the four feasts of the Jewish calendar, Jesus stood and he said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture says, rivers of living water will flow within them. Again, what's he doing? He's, he's talking about spiritual truth that is mind-blowing to the people. By this, he meant the spirit whom those who believed in Him were later to receive. On hearing His words, some of the people, verse 40, said, surely this man is the prophet. Others said, no, we believe He's the Messiah. Others asked, how can this Messiah come from Galilee, Nazareth? Doesn't Scripture say that the Messiah will come from David's descendants and be from Bethlehem? Uh Uh-huh. The town where David lived, thus the people were divided because of Jesus. Some wanted to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him. Finally, the temple guards go back to the chief priests and the Pharisees. They visit the Sanhedrin, who asked them, why didn't you bring him in? No one ever spoke this way like this man does, the guards replied. You mean he's deceived you too, the Pharisees retorted? And imagine, Nicodemus is standing there amongst them. And one of them speaks out, have any of the rulers of the Phar- or the Pharisees believed in him? And you can almost feel Nicodemus back there going, uh, I do, I'm open. Has any of the Pharisees believed in him? No, but this mob that knows nothing of the law, there's a curse on them. Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier, just so we know which one it is, who is one of their own number, asked, Does our law condemn a man without first hearing him to find out what he's been doing? Oh, man, that's an open heart. He says, wait, 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 wait. Really, guys? Are we really ready to judge him and put him in a box without really, truly, what? Opening our hearts and opening our minds to what what he says? You can really feel this transformation that's beginning to happen in Nicodemus's heart. Well, they reply, 
What are you from Galilee too? Look into it. You'll find that a prophet doesn't come out of Galilee. They dismiss him, but it shows that Nicodemus here had been wrestling this, with this. But what I want us to see more than anything is he had the courage to open his mouth. I can't even fathom the amount of courage it took for him even to speak out in that moment. There comes a time in our transformation when God's been working in our hearts and our minds that we have to open our mouths. We have to speak out. We're told in Matthew that out of the mouth comes what's been in the heart. The mouth speaks of what the heart is full of. And throughout Scripture, the New Testament, we see that we have to open our mouths to profess that Jesus is Lord. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you are saved. For it's with the heart you believe and are justified, but it is with your mouth that you confess or profess your faith and are saved. Or Matthew 12, Jesus says, I tell you, whoever publicly acknowledges me before others. Public acknowledgement. That's opening our mouths. The Son will also acknowledge Him before the angels of God. But whoever disowns me before others will be disowned before the angels of God. And we're told here later, Jesus says that, that when you stand in front of rulers and in the synagogues, the Holy Spirit will give you words to say. Transformation requires that we open our hearts, we open our minds, we open our mouths, and fourthly, we open our hands. Turn back to John chapter 19. Because Nicodemus appears one more time, and it's right after the crucifixion. We're told in verses 38 to 42, Joseph of Arimathea, asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and he took the body away. What blows me away about this is none of the disciples did this work. They were too afraid. John! You have to believe even as John wrote this, he stood condemned because John was at the cross, but he didn't stay long enough to even care for the body of Jesus. And we can tell from this, they were going to leave it on the cross. Joseph of Arimathea asks for permission, but look at verse 39. He was accompanied by Nicodemus. Oh, by the way, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night, just so we're sure. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 Pounds. Now, we can read past that, but it's awesome. The commentaries really give that what it needs, the treatment, because that was like, what, 75 pounds? It is said that that is basically the amount of aloe and myrrh and burial embalming fluid that would be fit for a king. <laughs> Nicodemus treated Jesus on the cross like a king. Transformation requires that we open up our hands. And we see Nicodemus serving Jesus. I love this quote in one of the commentaries I read. It's no accident that his death has the effect of moving Joseph and Nicodemus to abandon their secret discipleship as they unite courageously, boldly to identify with Jesus and share together in the work of his service. You talk about you talk about Nicodemus making it public. For him to ask for the body of Christ 
would have clearly identified him as a disciple. In other words, right there at the cross, the nucleus of the new community is already forming and the mission of the church under the leadership of the risen Jesus already foreshadowed at the death of Jesus as the death of Jesus, drove Nicodemus and Joseph into open identification with him, so he calls us on the basis of his death for us to receive the gift of his spirit and be bold and unashamed in our witness to the world. Folks, Nicodemus is an awesome example, I believe, of what a transformed life looks like. And just to add this, I want to note that if Nicodemus hadn't opened his heart and opened his mouth and visited Jesus at night, we would have never had one of the most compelling passages in all of the Bible. John 3, 16, for God so loves the world that Jesus did not come into this world to to condemn the world, but to save the world through Jesus. I love that. I love this picture that we have of discipleship lived out in the life of Nicodemus. Would you pray with me? Jesus, I pray today, as you're calling all of us to a transformed life, that we would open our hearts to your Holy Spirit's prompting. We're going to sing here in a moment, Jesus, about your Spirit prompting our hearts, moving in our hearts, that by conviction, Jesus, your Spirit would have freedom to to transform us from the inside, that we would open our minds to your truth, open our mouths to profess who you are, Jesus, and that ultimately as we walk out of this place, that we will open up our hands to serve others in your name, Jesus, that we would live out a transformed life in the same way we see Nicodemus. We hope you enjoyed this morning's message. If you have any comments or questions, feel free to contact us using our online form on our website at kingstreetchurch.com or by calling us here at 717-264-4651 during our regular business hours. Be sure to stop by and see us in person at one of our five Sunday morning services, 8.15 a.m., 2 at 9.45 a.m., as well as 2 at 11 a.m. We look forward to seeing you there.